This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. The Trump administration announced this week that it would be rounding up immigrants living freely but undocumented in the United States, specifically targeting those who have failed to make court appearances. This could exacerbate the problem of child separation and crowding at migrant centers. Two CQ roll call journalists, Tanvi Misra and Jeannie Hernandez, visited one such facility in Homestead, Florida this week and are here to share what they saw. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. Jeannie, can you tell us what you saw and describe the facility for our listeners? So we were actually invited by the private company that runs this facility in Homestead, Florida. We were surprised. We did not expect to get invited down. But once we did get there, we, uh, we were given a set of rules. So we were actually not allowed to take video take photos, um, and we were restricted in that sense of, of being able to capture everything that we saw. So we arrived at the facility, and it's actually right next to a military base. So that's the first thing that you see coming up on the facility is the military base that's next to it. And um, we parked, we went in, we go past these large fences that um, completely encapsulate the entire, the entire area. I think that um, it's actually acres and acres of, of, uh, of an organization that's out there. You're walking along this gravel, um, you're approaching buildings and tents, like soft shell um, structures is what they're called. And you see just the multitude of children. Everywhere that they went, there would be someone that would go with them. So there was never any children that were left alone. They were always supervised. And one of the things that struck me is um, in the area where they keep the 13 to 16-year-olds, the fence actually doesn't quite cover the rec area where they go outside and they run around in the gravel and and they do some, uh, we actually saw them doing some calisthenics. And so some of the protesters, and these protesters, there's usually, they, they told us a handful, but it really fluctuates depending on the day. Some of the protesters will actually get up on these step ladders and they'll look over the fence and they'll, they tell us they wave, they do crazy signs, just anything for the kids to be able to see them. They hold up these cardboard hearts um, and they say that it's just to show the kids that there's some kind of just positive um, influence coming from outside. And they get very emotional while they're talking about being able to just see the kids and interact with them, even if it's from that far away. And you can hear Alessandra. She's this artist activist that comes down from Miami like every two or three days to um, replenish supplies and everything. You can hear in her voice how passionate she gets about the children and about being able to interact with the children. I interviewed her, her in the pouring rain. You can hear her talking about it in this clip. Once you see the kids, you can't unsee that. And I am, I am haunted by these children. I've never really committed to a group or a cause for an extended period of time for lots of reasons. Um, 
but these kids, there's, it just breaks your heart. And they blow kisses and they wave at you and you interact with them and you see them. And I go back and that's the thing, like, you know, I need to go see the kids, I need to see the kids, I need to see the kids. And another issue that protesters have is that this is a private company running an emergency facility on federal land. And so what that means is they don't have to follow any of the regulations that are set for any of the other facilities being run to house children. Um, And actually, I'll let Tanvi describe exactly what those regulations are. Sure. So this facility is massive. It's uh, about 55 acres and has 2,000 kids currently, mostly from Central America. Um, you know, as Jeannie mentioned, it's run by this private company, and that company makes around uh, $750 per day per child for doing what they do. And um, so um, there's two reasons the facility is exempt. Uh, one of the reasons is, as Jeannie mentioned, that it's on federal land. The second is that the government says that it's a temporary influx facility. So the rules that um, govern other such facilities don't really apply in this case. Uh, One of those rules is that it has to be state licensed. This facility is not state licensed. And the other rule is that kids who are at this facility have to be moved out, quote unquote, expeditiously. So that's been interpreted by the courts to mean about 20 days. What we found was that kids at the time that uh, we were there uh, had been held there, you know, sometimes as long as four months. And the facility is also exempt from certain types of audits um, that are required of other facilities. Um, so, you know, there is not as much oversight um, on this on this facility as there is on others. Tanvi, there are over 2,000 children in the Homestead, Florida facility. Were they separated from their parents or relatives, or did they come here on their own? So there, I, I believe a majority of the um, children at this particular facility were kids who came unaccompanied. However, there is a small subset of these kids who were separated from family members. Now, that's not necessarily their parents. Um, it could be legal guardians, um, you know, an older sibling or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle that the government, they could not establish um, relationship with them um, or for any other reason, or they might have thought that, you know, perhaps these other folks pose some sort of harm to these kids. Um, There's a number of reasons the government is using still to separate kids from at the border from family members. So Congress last month passed a bill with $4.5 billion that will go towards alleviating the humanitarian crisis at the border. What's the money going for, Tanvi? So there's a number of different sort of buckets the money falls into. Um, some is for DHS. Um, some the is Homeland for Security the Homeland Security, correct. manages the border, guards the border. Uh, yes, correct. Um, so um, that includes ICE um, as well as Border Patrol and the facilities right. that both of them. ICE is the agency of, which correct. enforces immigration laws inside the country, yes. not at the border. Yes, Um And there's also money in there for military presence at the border. That was one of the big things that Democrats had an objection to. And then there's money for unaccompanied minors, as they call them, you know, facilities such as the one that we visited. Tanvi, a large group of Democrats in the House did not support this humanitarian bill. Why were they opposed? 
I think the most vociferous objections came from, you know, the uh, the most progressive Democrats. Um, in fact, some of those Democrats had voted against their own version of the bill as well. What their main objection was that there weren't enough oversight. Basically, that they were saying that this money had been given without any strings attached. Okay, so they were looking for more protections for the kids? Correct. They wanted more oversight, not only in um, the facilities at the border, but as, you know, also facilities such as the one that we visited which, as I mentioned, are exempt from some of the standards that govern how kids are treated in detention. So what they wanted was just stricter oversight, more sort of safeguards for these kids in in these um, detention facilities, um, more reporting requirements, etc. So Pelosi went against the progressives in her caucus, I think pragmatically, because she saw that she needed to get this through the Senate, controlled by Republicans, and get Donald Trump's signature on it. I think it was a very complicated situation, but, um, you know, they were against a deadline. Of course, the July 4th recess was coming up, and that always complicates things. Um, The bill that the House had passed had already failed in the Senate, um, and the bill that they they had these amendments that they wanted to um, tack on to the Senate bill, which was the one that eventually passed in the House, um, which Nancy Pelosi brought up. So what's the Democrats' plan going forward? It seems to be as many tours, as many hearings, as much, um, you know, as much investigation. And um, um, now there's also talk of subpoenas. So basically, they're trying to gain as much traction and and generate as much public outrage um, about this. uh, this, Subpoenaing Trump administration officials to come testify? To come testify and about the family separation policy, but also about, um, you know, have them come and testify in front of Congress about the various kinds of conditions that we've heard of recently at Border Patrol facilities and um, other facilities. Okay, so let's turn to the raids that are planned this weekend. The New York Times is reporting that nationwide ICE raids on undocumented immigrants living here in the U.S. will start this Sunday. 2,000 families. That's a big number. That's who could be targeted this very weekend in a planned crackdown on undocumented immigration. The acting director of the Citizenships and Immigration Services, Ken Cuccinelli, confirms the ICE raids that President Trump has been discussing are absolutely going to happen. So let's say ICE does round up all these people. What are they going to do with them? So ICE is targeting, you know, around... Uh, 2,000 people that have already been ordered deported by an immigration judge. Um, This could be because they didn't show up in court or that, you know, their um, uh, adjudication process concluded and it led to a deportation order. So... It, what what's going to happen is there were some concerns about capacity, about detention capacity, and what we've seen is that ICE's um, the number of people in ICE detention have actually fallen quite dramatically in the last week or so. Um, it, they've been you know by about the same amount um, as the number of people that ICE is now hoping to target. So. Um, there were about 54,000 people in ICE custody about two weeks ago, and now there's about 52, a little more than 52,000. What we've seen is, uh, and what we've learned is, what we've learned today is that a number of the biggest focus for ICE is this family detention facility in Dilly, Texas, uh, where families are held together. Again, you know, you can't really hold them for a, uh, too long a time because there are rules dictating that. But this is the facility that it, it appears um, will be where some of these folks who are rounded up uh, will be taken to. This seems like it 
could exacerbate the problem of child separation. The biggest issue that immigrant uh, immigrant um, advocates have been bringing up, the biggest concern that they have, is that this is just another uh, way of raining terror on immigrant communities. Because um, a lot of the folks who are being targeted, they may be part uh, part of families that are mixed status, what they call mixed status families, which means that members of the family are U.S. citizens, and some family uh, members might be undocumented. Um, so you know, sort of imagine the case of uh, a mother who might be the target of these deportation raids whose kids are both U.S. citizens. This kind of creates a very uh, uncertain situation for that kind of a family. Ahead of the raids, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer of New York expressed um, his concern about the raids, uh, echoing a common democratic uh, um, sentiment on, on this action. His plan will tear families apart, disrupt immigrant communities across America, including immigrants here legally and those in the process for legally applying for asylum. Cruelty, cruelty, seems to be the point of these raids. So, Tanvi, is there a silver bullet here? I mean, we have this problem with this large number of migrants coming to the border seeking asylum. We have an obligation under international law to consider their cases. But we don't have enough judges to do it. We don't have enough space to house the people. What can Congress do? Um, There is no silver bullet. Uh, There, I mean, a comprehensive immigration reform has not been accomplished for a number of years, um, you know, most notably 2013 and 14 in Congress. Um, Administratively, I think what a lot of advocates would um, argue is that there are a number of policies that the Trump administration has put in place that also sort of, um, uh, you know, create these bottlenecks in the in the asylum process. there are ways in which, uh, you know, for example, I'll give you the example of one policy, which is the um, remain in Mexico policy, right? That only extends or it makes it more difficult for um, asylum seekers to find, you know, have a meaningful day in court as right. you know, they're far Trump away from the, the country. government to hold these asylum seekers on their side of the border. On their side of the border. And they're very far from what their court hearings are. They're very far from um, access to lawyers. And and that those kind of things, lawyers have been arguing, only extend the process and make it a, um, a lot less, basically uh, steep the odds against um, asylum seekers. Well, he's been trying to discourage people from coming and making asylum claims through practices like that, through the child separation, which uh, immigrant advocates say is putting these people in danger, that they, they'll stay in these dangerous situations in their home countries. Right. I, I, what immigrant advocates have been saying in response to that is that that deterrent strategy, which actually has been around since the Clinton administration, is just has never been effective. That it isn't just the incentives or non-incentives as um, the administration views them uh, of immigration policy as it currently exists, but a number of different factors that uh, compel immigrants to leave their home countries, including but not limited to, um, you know, the the climate change and how that affects farming and how that affects their industry in their countries, uh, political instability, domestic violence, all of these different issues um, play in together in, a co- in complex ways and drive migration. So, you know, just tweaking one side of the issue is not really going to solve the entire problem is what a lot of people are arguing. All right. We're going to look for your reports going forward at CQ.com and at RollCall.com. So thank you, Tanvi Misra, our immigration reporter here at CQ, and Jeannie Hernandez, our senior video producer. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. That does it for us today. The producer of this show is Tula Vlahu. 
Thank you all for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us. 